Hello and welcome to the second season of NDIS Know How, a podcast series that asks how can parents get the very best NDIS plan and sufficient funding to support their kid. This podcast is written and made by me, Melanie Dimmitt, the author of Special, and powered by HireUp, a disability support platform connecting families like mine with top-notch support workers. Today, I've got Lisa Duffy on the pod with me, who is, as you will soon hear, one of the loveliest people working in our sector. She started out as a physiotherapist before finding her true calling in complex case management, working with people with disability to navigate their support options in the 10 years prior to the NDIS. Since the NDIS came along, Lisa's been helping people gain access to the scheme and plan for NDIS reviews. You can currently find her at Disability Services Consulting, or DSC, where she does support coordination, training and writing to build capacity and understanding around the NDIS. And what keeps me here doing this stuff is that I've seen the pre-NDIS system and I've seen people transition into the NDIS and I can truly see that it can be life-changing for people, but only if they understand it and it's really complicated and There's a lot of new language and I see my role as trying to translate that stuff so that people can get the most out of it. In this conversation, Lisa takes me through the steps, or as she likes to describe them, the train stations that we need to stop at on our way to accessing the NDIS. She also offers up some priceless pointers on how to get fluent in NDIS language. So first up, can you tell me Who is eligible for the NDIS and what does the process of applying for the NDIS tend to look like? Okay, so I can't give you one answer. Um, That's fine. (laughs) Give me many. um, Basically, eligibility is a multi-step process. So you sort of have to meet one thing at one, I guess, let's call them train stations. Um, You need to sort of hit the first part of eligibility before you can move on to the next train station. So there are some pretty black and white things which relate to the person's age. So needing to be under the age of 65 at the time of starting the access request. There are specific citizenship and residency kind of visa status questions. um, And also you need to be permanently living in Australia. So that's the first train station that you need to be able to get the ticket for, I guess you could say, before you can then move on to even think about disability eligibility. Yeah, I love this metaphor that we're working with. So we are a train in this process. We're on the track, on track to access the NDIS. And like you say, there are certain stations that we need to stop at. So I love this. I think it's going to make it make it a lot more simple for people to understand. All right. Okay, cool. So you've, you've hit those main basic eligibility criteria and I'll make sure that I share some links with you from some prominent parts of the NDIS website about where this stuff can be looked at. So we're now able to leave that first station and we're now heading to the station around disability eligibility. Mm -hmm. And you need to have a disability that's diagnosed, but it's not enough to stop there. You need to then have evidence that your diagnosed disability is both lifelong and permanent. Um, And so having evidence of permanency is a really critical part of this. So I guess that's where the NDIS is trying to work out. Do you have a diagnosis that actually potentially could recover or be cured? And that's where they would sort of look at the difference in responsibility for support and whether those people might need to seek their support from, say, the health or mental health system. So they're trying to work out 
is this a permanent lifelong disability? And if so, we can then move to the next train station. (laughs) So the next train station is one that takes a bit of time and understanding around very NDIS-specific language. So many people who have a disability or a diagnosis may be used to working with treating professionals that sort of speak health language. So this next train station is very much NDIS language based around having evidence that your diagnosed disability has a profound functional impact, so a profound impact on your function and day-to-day life. So we have these six functional domains of mobility, communication, social interaction, learning, self-care, and self-management. So you need to be able to show that there's a profound functional impact on at least one of those and also then be able to provide evidence of if there is a functional impact, what type of assistance do you then require and how frequently do you require assistance with those functional domains? So often people who have been trained in health language just focus on a diagnosis and its treatment Mm. and they don't then think about the person's day-to-day life and function. So, you know, there might be someone who because of a physical disability is an increased falls risk, okay? And so that might be something the doctor would write, that they've had three falls in the last month. But if we can extend that sentence, we then say, well, because of the risk of falling, Lisa has started to reduce the amount that she goes into the community and she's becoming socially isolated and she's actually attending her workplace less because of her fear of falling. And now we're really starting to talk about the impact on my function, my social interaction, my mobility, and my ability to participate in the economy. So the doctor might write about your diagnosis and your falls, but then we have to extend that. But what does that mean for my life and my function? Wow. So there's a lot to think about there that is so useful that you've named the six domains. Can we use Arlo, my son, as an example? Yes. Just to sort of paint a picture with this. So Arlo has quad cerebral palsy, quite profound disability, um, non-speaking so, well, probably not a good example because we didn't have that much difficulty accessing the NDIS. Can I jump in and say maybe you didn't have what you say is not much difficulty accessing the scheme because possibly Arlo has a diagnosis that is listed in, in some of these NDIS lists that they've, that they've provided and we'll make sure we share these lists with people. But there are some diagnoses that are on what we call list A So the NDIS has a list of conditions that pretty much if you have evidence of that, of those diagnoses from list A, your pathway into the NDIS and accessing the NDIS is going to be pretty straightforward. Um, And so then we've got list B conditions as well, where the NDIS has said, if you have a list B condition, yep, we agree. We already acknowledge these are lifelong and permanent, but you still need to provide evidence to us of how they profoundly impact your function. Whereas a list A condition, they've said, we've already worked out for ourselves, list A conditions are lifelong and permanent, and we already understand that they profoundly impact function. So if you can have evidence of a list A or a list B condition, possibly that's why Arlo had a different path in. I'd love to know sort of your 
tips and tricks that you've learned along the way that people could use when they're going through this application process? What are some things that we can do, ways that we can prepare, bits and pieces we can have to hand to make this process as smooth and pain-free as possible? So the first thing I would say is you need to know how to speak NDIS so that you can then ask your treating professionals to speak NDIS in the reports and evidence that they're going to provide to you for the application. So, you know, we'll often um, work with families who have, say, a specialist doctor um, who will write something around a person's diagnosis and then they'll list the person's recent scans and then they'll list their medication list and then sign off the the, the letter and it's half a page long and there's been zero commentary around how does that diagnosis impact the person's function? So to be able to speak NDIS, the applicant and, the, and their support networks need to be able to ask the report writers to please, you know, write some 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 wording and, and document how the diagnosed disability impacts their function in any of those six domains. Jumping in here to refresh those six domains in our minds. They are mobility, communication, social interaction, learning, self-care and self-management that would be the main thing i would say the second thing would be um and we'll provide the link for this the ndis does list um you know what is good evidence who can provide evidence and how old or new can this evidence be so that will then give you some idea of who are some people that can be my treating professionals that can provide evidence of functional impact so for example an occupational therapist or you know a specialist doctor or a psychologist so I would also familiarize myself with that and have a look at what is considered good evidence and we'll provide the link for that I would also say that the person, the applicant needs to think about who is already in their life that could act as a treating professional in this in this process and if there isn't anyone or they have to find new ones just to take into account the waiting time it might be for them to get those assessments and reports and also the cost. So there are people who have to wait four, five, six months for a new assessment around, uh, for example, a diagnosis of autism and then you know, the cost involved in that can sometimes be over $1,000. So I would prepare people for the reality of that. Oh, that's so hard, isn't it? Because once you're on the scheme, like when we get Arlo's therapist to write reports for his like plan review, we have NDIS funds to cover their time to write those reports. Um, so yeah, like you said, I can't imagine how expensive it must be before you're on the scheme to have to gather all that evidence from all of the different, you know, all the team around you. That's right. But I would say... There are many people in your life who may already be great examples of people who can provide evidence. So, for example, if you're working with someone who's at high school or primary school, then there may be someone who knows you from the school who can provide a great report on evidence of how your disability impacts your function in the learning category or, you know, in the mobility or the communication category. Maybe there's a a support teacher who can provide great evidence of seeing the challenges you might experience in expressive communication, for example. So then there are, don't just think about specialists and therapists, think about the people in your mainstream world too. So, you know, education and health and, and mental health. These are people that might be in your world that can provide reports that might not be as expensive and might not have as much of a waiting time as well. That is such good advice. Is there the opportunity here to provide, I know when we go to our, um, plan reviews you you know it's advisable to have a carer's statement is it worth providing something like this 
for access as well? Yeah, so we we have sometimes people want to write a participant statement, so the applicant themselves, and also uh, a carer impact statement. But again, if that's going to be included as evidence, just make sure that the language is NDIS functional language. So relating the diagnosis back to how does that profoundly impact my function in any of those six domains and also comment on the type of assistance that you require and the frequency of assistance. So when you look at the access request form that we can link to in your show notes, it steps you through type of assistance and it might be home or environmental modifications or it might be assistance from assistive technology or from other people and then really clearly showing the frequency of that. And so a lot of applicants need help with really nutting that out. So they might say, oh, you know, my mum... She, she has to prompt me with certain things and you go, okay, prompt you, but how often? Oh, well, every single time that I need to, to leave the house. Okay, now we're really getting a better picture of frequency and and the requirement for that support. So sometimes people need a help to really look at, back at their life and sort of go, oh, yeah, actually when you, when you make me stop and think about it, there's actually a, quite a lot of support I require from other people and also very frequently, but it's so normal to their life that they don't see it. Yes. And if someone doesn't gain gain access to the scheme for themselves or for the person they support, but really believe that they should be on the scheme and they do need the support from it, what should they do? I'd go back and check. First of all, the letter from the NDIS should explain to them why access was not met. So see that as a little bit of a gift, you know, have they clearly explained explain to me what I've missed the first time and then go and see if that's something you can that you can source. So they may say that you've not been able to show evidence of functional impact. So that's your, your gift to then say, oh, okay, that's what I'll now go and do. I think it's kind of us to be honest with people that for some people, if you have a list A diagnosis, this can be something that you apply for and you receive a, a positive outcome within a month. Whereas there are other people where this process can take over a year and um, it can be quite confronting because you're having to really talk about and confront all of the ways that your diagnosis impacts your life. So have support around you, um, you know, be kind to yourself because this can be a difficult process to really focus in on your disability and its impact. So I guess just to acknowledge that for some people this can be a really difficult process and then it can be quite slow and um, don't give up because if, if you do think you're eligible, the funding that can then come from being a participant can be quite life-changing. So I hope, you, I hope you get the support you need to have this all translated for your application. Thank you to Lisa for this lovely, very informative chat and also for giving me a bundle of useful links to resources around accessing the NDIS, which you'll find in the show notes. A big thanks also to Hira for supporting me in making this podcast. And thank you for tuning in. I'll catch you again soon on NDIS Know How.